very uncouth and rude and civilized. You don't do that. But here, the Islamic value of spreading ill and evil, that's the context here. That is, uh, all of these civilizational values that the surah uh, is mentioned, they come up to the forefront. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants a Muslim community to be free of evil, free of uh, anything that is detrimental to the society at large, or and detrimental to the individual. Yeah. So these values are obviously at the height of any civilization where usually we see that we measure, you know, what they call the first world nowadays, hmm? developed countries according to the infrastructure facilities and conveniences that they have developed, which is only one part of the story. The second part of the story, that is necessary also. So we're not going to knock that. We do need conveniences. We do need infrastructure. We do need uh, facilities and all of that. And we need the outer shell. Without the outer shell, you cannot host the inner values. So that it goes hand in hand. So the inner values are the ethics and morals and virtues where Western society does not include virtue as part of development, as part of uh, necessarily, uh, you know, the, the, the advancement. That's not how they measure. So if a community is well-mannered, but it does not have facilities, then they won't call it a developed community or society or country. Whereas here, Islam is saying that everything goes hand in hand. These are the building blocks that if you don't have societal mannerisms and civilizational values regarding uh, ethics, morals, and virtue, then you don't have a society, period. You can just have the outer shell, and the outer shell will look like as if it's, uh, you know, glitter and gold. But internally, the community is corroded. It is not at all civilized. So here with um, Islamic values, everything has to be in order and so on. This might be too idealistic for certain secular thinkers and philosophers where even the philosophers don't take care of their own personal moral values and so on. So if you are a brilliant philosopher, you can have a horrible life. So you can be abusive, you can be a, a womanizer, you can be somebody who's into alcohol, you can be somebody who's into women. Uh, and uh, You can have all of these inner vices and still be a great philosopher. And so on. Where Islam says, no, the, the, that is not the way we see things. Islam came to elevate the standard of behavior for all human beings. So now, riba, that backbiting, is one of those vices that tears apart the whole fabric of unity within the ummah. That is why it is haram. Where zina obviously also tears apart the unity in the family, but riba tears apart the unity in the whole society. 
because you're evil, you're malicious. Uh, either you're looking for false mistakes in people, that means you're a snake. And that's what you are, you're a snake. Uh, you're just there to bite people. That's your inner nature, where you're just after uh, nitpicking, uh, finding faults within people, and then talking about it for hours and hours and hours, and so on. Or it's just that you have no positive uh, thing to add to the conversation. So the only thing you can add is a negative comment, a negative remark. So these are all the repercussions of riba and backbiting, which is totally and absolutely haram. Uh, so, so if you want a clean community, a noble community, then you have to make sure that these micro issues are taken care of, they're resolved, and you pay attention to what you say and how you behave, etc. If you don't do that, then you can do your salat, salam, zakat, hajj, etc. But you will be, uh, uh, what do you call it, entrusted almost with this burden on the Day of Judgment that you have hurt somebody. And uh, you are cutting down people simply because you're a malicious person, you're an evil person, and uh, you don't want any good for people. And so, so riba basically means that you speak evil uh, of someone in a value of uh, an act which is true. Hmm? Now, meaning that this person, he does this. He eats this way, or he dresses this way, or, you know, he, he behaves this way. And that has to be a true statement. Hmm. So even if it's true, that, that's when it's riba. If it's not true, then it's slander. Oh, it is a hundred times worse. You understand? So I'm only talking about the truth. It's because you're talking about the truth that it is riba, which is backbiting. It's totally hard. If you're making an accusation, that's slander, which, as I said, is a hundred times worse than riba. You know? So people come and they say, well, I'm speaking the truth about him. You say, why are you speaking the truth about him? Is there any reason? Is there need? Are you testifying in court? Or are you trying to tell somebody to avoid this person? Because if you don't tell that person, the person will get into harm, then okay. Then we'll tolerate that. But if it's just you're just now nitpicking and all you are is an evil person and you have nothing else to say about anybody, uh, then that is all shar. That is riba. Uh, if it's not in that person, then that is slander. Buhtan, which uh, I'm repeating, is a hundred times worse than that. So I've also highlighted, you know, the exceptions to the rule, but those are exceptions. They are not norms. You don't speak like that in a normal uh, conversation, especially if it's out of malice. And hatred, enmity, jealousy, and pride, and all that. So now you see all of these evil traits and uh, evil thoughts that come to the mind, which pollutes the communities. Everybody worries about pollutants in the air. They should also worry about pollutants in on themselves. But I pollute the environment when I behave this way. I pollute my family. I pollute the community. I pollute the ummah. When I, so I was, as I mentioned several times before, 
and giving up on the Ummah is the greatest pollution that the Muslim Ummah suffers from at the moment. They, everybody just pessimistic. They write everybody off and say there's no hope. That means you've written Allah of two. That impacts your Tawheed, that impacts your Iman. You have no faith in Allah, therefore you have no faith in the Ummah. So that's not how the Rasul but anyway, the backdrop to Bhibah bin Haram is that it is a vice that destroys the very fabric of social unity. And you don't want that if you're going to develop a community and so on. Yeah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in an example, a simile if you want, about how this is translated in another world. So the effect of ghibah is as if Does any one of you love the idea that you're going to eat the dead meat of your brother? That's how ghibah is. And you should detest it. That just as you are repulsed when somebody eats human flesh and then more repulse when they eat dead human flesh which is probably you know putrid uh, very what do you call it um, yeah very ugly and horrible and then you're sitting there uh, and you're enjoying the dead meat of your brother uh, and that's how you know. so you're enjoying this as if it's a feast, you're feasting on your dead brother's flesh. This is how this ghibah is translated there in the other world. So now you should detest it. You should find this repulsive so that you don't go anywhere near it. Now why would you want to eat, you know, dead meat anyway? Why would you want to eat human meat and human flesh anyway? Don't you have other food to eat? If you have no other food to eat, then you're not allowed to eat your dead brother's meat, even there. Even to save your life, you can't do it. Right? So now you see the steps. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is this imagery Allah is giving. Obviously, this happens for those of you who know in the Aalul Mithal, that's where this happens. But you see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want any kind of pollution in the ummah, especially those pollutions that destroy the environment. And if you're not living in a healthy environment, then you're living in a very vile environment. And the only thing that can do that, that does is that it creates more evil. And so the more you promote evil, the more evil is promoted. And then on then, you say that Muslims are doing this, they are doing this. So the people who are doing Salat, Sum, Zakat, and Hajj, they should be the most mindful of this because then they will live in this kind of misconception and delusion. I'm a good Muslim because I do this. You're not a good Muslim until you do everything that's Islamic. You can't be a partial Muslim. You're going to believe in some of the book and you're going to disbelieve in the other part. It's all, all, everything. Okay? So you say, well, Muslims should have good ethics and morals and not worry about prayer. That is wrong. And Muslims should pray and never mind about ethics. That's also wrong. Okay? So Muslims have to come into Islam totally, comprehensively and holistically 
that they should be mindful of the micro issues in their lives and they should be mindful that they do not represent Islam in 50% and then discard the other 50%. It's like you sat in the car and you say, I won't give you the tires. What kind of car are you selling me? There are no tires there. So you selling Salat, Salat, Zakat, and Hajj, and not selling virtue and good behavior and following the seerah of the Prophet that's like you're selling a car without tires. It's useless. So the mindset is the most important, that those who want to be pious and holy, unfortunately, they end up doing this the most. Because they kind of feel they're privileged. They're in an elite class of society where now they're good Muslims. So the Prophet said, no, you're not a good Muslim. You're not even half a Muslim. The definition of a Muslim is a Muslim from whose hands and tongue other Muslims are safe. That's a Muslim at this level. So the, the comprehensive understanding of Islam is what is needed. It's the mindset. It's how you approach life, how you approach society, how you approach people. And the Prophet ﷺ, the best example, Whenever he met somebody who was smiling, he never said anything evil about anybody. That you should follow that sunnah. Just as much you follow the sunnah in ibadat and the sunnah in akhira, you must follow the sunnah in behavior. Then you can say, Alhamdulillah, uh, we have a good Muslim community and society. So, as you can see, the whole surah is based on uplifting the moral behavior of all Muslims so that Muslims are not going to um, shoot themselves in the foot by behaving this way. What taqullah, again, taqwa now, is uh, being associated with behavior. Taqwa has been associated with how your heart is, how you think of people, how you see people, how you treat people, and so on. So taqwa there is not just in the physical representation of the sunnah, there is in the inner okay, behavior of human beings towards other human beings. Then you have a civilized society. Okay? So a good Muslim will be someone who does Salat, Salat, Hajj, and also has good behavior. He has good moral ethics. and He has a good character that he wants to make sure he's not spreading evil at any level in the community and so on. There's also obviously a hadith that talk about listening to riba, uh, which is not even a, a much more taller order than actually not committing riba in the first place, yeah, which is also haram. So there you have to do something about that. But, but in, in a polite way, nice way, where you don't you know, add fuel to the fire, so to speak, uh, you should inform people that it's not the best way to talk about people and so on. Allah is always coming back. Allah is coming back to the servant, giving him time and respite for him to make tawbah. And then when he makes tawbah, Allah accepts the tawbah. This is the implication of the word tawab. Allah is always returning, always coming back, always returning that he gives human being time and he gives Muslims time to make tawbah, that in their salat, in their dua, they should also make tawbah from all the sins they commit knowingly and unknowingly. 
inadvertently that we know we commit so many sins that we don't even think of we don't even realize their sins then you show humbleness in front of Allah the one whom you are worshiping that I don't know the sins I commit in the day I don't know the sins I commit at night I don't know so many sins I commit so I'm making dogma from all sins and give me the tawfiq to come back to you and become a better servant Riba is a sin against Allah is also a sin against human beings so both components of hukukullah there and also ibad, that it combines both types of sins and so on. So you have to make dua for the person that you have backbited. If you have backbited somebody and you know so through evil and malice intent, then you have to go to that person and ask for forgiveness. That is how the Sharia works. Yeah, so when you have people thinking good of each other, and when you have people covering the mistakes of each other, Mm, then you have a good society, you have a good community, you have a good unity, uh, and so on. Or thinking positive, and thinking good, and thinking well gives you a healthy approach to you, it gives you a healthy approach to the community and society. So that is how we must see these ethics playing out. And the Sahaba, alhamdulillah, they were all at this level where they would not cut down each other and then the Tabi'in and others would also be the same way. So you have people who had excellent virtue and those people also had excellent ibadat and other forms and other levels of taqwa. Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now the one who dispenses rahmah. Rahim is the one who dispenses rahmah in the appropriation with a person's deeds and actions and intentions. This is how we see that Surah Al-Hujurat is bringing out uh, the true spirit uh, in the Muslim ummah, in the Muslim community, and so on. The next ayah is one of the most universal ayahs there are in the Quran, and people have written books and volumes on this ayah, and uh, people who want to bring Islam to the forefront of human civilization, this ayah becomes pivotal as part of their manifesto. This ayah is revealed, obviously, for the Arabs of the time of the Prophet and those who were especially in the hierarchy, those of the Quraysh, who were the leaders of the peninsula, they were the leaders of all the other tribes. And so in that tribal system, they had categories of people, they had a class system, and in that class system, they also had slaves. The slaves, obviously, being the downtrodden, disenfranchised group of people that also lived in uh, Mecca and the Quraysh, who were the hierarchy, they were the aristocrats. They obviously uh, looked down upon every slave. And uh, this is how Islam came to uh, obviously bring about some kind of what you would call social justice. It's not social justice, it's just living. If you politicize something, it loses its value. So you don't want to politicize. That's why we don't like the idea of political groups using this ayah. It's totally out of place. It's totally out of context. It is about living. It's about human beings. It's about society. It's about civilization. 
that this is how all human beings should think and behave regardless of their political structure and their political aspirations and using words like equality and justice and all of that is not the place because this language is the language of wahi is not a language of human rights so when you read the quran don't read the quran with the language or through the lens of human rights and that is a distortion so you have to take off your human rights cap <laughs> which is difficult for the american because you're born and raised in this community okay you are a product of the community see there's no other way for you to think except in the american way that is not the way you read the quran ever you do not contextualize your reading of quran according to your context it must be according to the context of wahi wahi is broad wahi is vast wahi accommodates all societies wahi accommodates all contexts not just yours yeah so the major mistake everybody makes unfortunately when they're trying to read the quran is that they always have their societal political cap on even the academic cap sometimes so so what we are saying is that yes this is uh, tremendous but it is not just mentioning human rights it's something broader is something deeper you're not talking about slaves and slavery it's not talking about jeffersonian philosophy of government and justice it's not talking about uh, the bill of rights or the un charter is that's not what it's talking about it's talking about you as a human civilization going back to jannah where you belong you have to add the akhirah into the language of wahi if you don't add the akhirah your insight into the ayah is now half it's myopic it's not complete yeah. so yes it does apply to human rights but it's much more than that so when you're talking to people especially here in this country and you want to bring this ayah you can't use this ayah and just squeeze it into human rights that's not justification for the ayah the idea is good whatever you want to say but social justice human rights that idea itself is good but you can't make the ayah fit just you can't tailor the ayah make a suit out of it so it fits the american context so it should fit all contexts it should fit all civilization and it should fit all communities whether you're in a democracy whether you're in tribalism whether whether in martial law whether you whatever marxist it doesn't matter where you are this ayah will fit apply everywhere one size fits all if you reduce it to your context then you're doing injustice to the ayah I'm not talking about the idea of social justice separate that from the ayah don't use this ayah to justify your position and that's what islamists do that's what politicians do they always want to justify their position based on some divine order which shows that they want allah to approve what they're doing basically huh? everybody wants an islamic label well, you commit sin or oh, maybe there's an islamic label that i can use <laughs> you can't do that that is haram I mean, haram in terms of interpreting the quran uh, so there i think this one shows us so the hierarchy of makkah the aristocrats of makkah they had a severe innate disdain 
for anyone and everyone lower than them, especially the slaves. Yeah. Just like many other societies, they didn't see slaves as being someone who, who could be part of society. When you de-slave somebody, then you have to make that slave, who was a slave, part of the community, part of society. So at the time of Fath Makkah, the Prophet came into Makkah, as you know, and then he told Bilal to give the Adhan. Now you're talking, <laughs> these are the aristocrats. Okay. These are the royals of society, and these are the people who controlled the whole of the Jazeera, and they're, they're the ones who control society and controlled the narrative of virtue and ethics in that society. So for them, it was unethical to treat a slave like an ordinary person. That was their moral standard. Islam came and undid all of that. And then the Prophet asked him, he told Bilal, who is Bilal? Bilal is a former slave. He's African. And he tells Bilal, an African slave, to go there in the haram and give the adhan. So the Prophet is not only accommodating Bilal as a human being, he is making Bilal a major player in ritual. A major player in ritual. Which is what Islam does. That when you liberate somebody, you can't just say, okay, you're free now. You have to provide them much more dignity than any other community does. So Bilal is there. All the Sahaba are fine with him. They love him, obviously. But then, then the people of the Quraysh who wanted to accept Islam, they made some remarks. So what is this? I'm happy that my father is not here to see this day. Those are the comments they made. Thank God my father is not there, not here to see this day where you see a slave in the Kaaba addressing all of mankind to come and pray and come to felicity, come for falah. And now this, now this. This was doomsday for them. This was the final hour of this. They went to Abu Sufyan and Abu Sufyan says, I, I can't say anything. If I say anything, then God will punish me. <laughs> he became Muslim then. So in the context of that conversation and that narrative that the Quraysh had about Bilal being part of community and a major player in the Muslim civilization, given the Adhan is no joke. And you're given Adhan in front of the Prophet, you're given Adhan in the Kaaba. That means that you're a player, a great player in the community, in the society. So this eye was revealed uh, in the context of that narrative, then the eye obviously expands uh, the whole narrative to all of human beings and he, all of humankind. And it says, Allah subhanahu wa says, oh people, indeed, we have created you from a male and female. A male or what? Female, referring to the binary system. There's no in-between, I hope. There's no adding on. There's no third, fourth, fifth, or the confused ones in the middle. Dhakar, male, unta, female. Very simple translation. And the Quran asserts this all the time. So all people, we have made you, created you from a male and a female. And then, 
from those two came human civilization, the human community. Then we made you into groups of people, shoub, subgroups of people, shab, in the Arabic modern sense. It's slightly different from what the Quran is using here, branches of one trunk, okay, from the word shu'ba. Each branch will be different. They won't be the same. So you have to then respect diversity in the human species. So a branch of the tree is where? It's from the trunk. The trunk is what? But every branch will be different from another branch. So you should not aspire to make everybody the same. Well, they're the same in their chromosomes and they're the same in their, their, their biological features, they're the same in their mental abilities, they're the same in their spiritual abilities, but they are different, very different. So you shouldn't blame people for being different, especially in some of their ways and their manners and so on. They are just and they're, they're not unjust. And then the larger tribe, the Qabila. So you have the tribe and that within the tribe you're going to have groups and then subgroups and then families and then individuals. And so then one branch will have different twigs, different sub-branches. So now you see that the, 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 the human tree means it's a human tree, everybody's human. This imagery from the word sharp is necessary for you to understand the unity in humanity. But also you appreciate the diversity in humanity at the same time. So there are different types of people and different colors and different languages and different cultures and different ethnic backgrounds and diverse, uh, what do you call it, customs and everything else that comes along with human society and human civilization. So Allah acknowledges that, that you will be from this ethnic background and this ethnic background. So the ethnicity is part of humanity. So can you judge anybody based on their ethnicity? No. That's what this uh, I is saying. So that you may recognize each other. Meaning there's a function for that. The reason for diversity is that so you know you are different. You can't eradicate the differences because that is inhuman. That's not what Allah wants. Allah wants you to appreciate the diversity so that you know you're from here and you're from here and you're from here. You speak this language and you speak this language. Your cuisine is this way and the way you dress is this way. So Allah wants you to maintain your diversity. Not to give it up. You can't become one. In those areas where you become one is in the worship of Allah. Where you become one is in your aqidah. Where you become one is in your moral values and your virtues and your behavior and so on. So this is how the Quran displays this very unique picture. Okay. Now, if you distort it and destroy it by saying human rights, you haven't done justice to the imagery. You've destroyed it. Huh? You've made it a political thing. It's not political. It is basic life. And this is how you should see life. Uh, so, and people used to do that. And they, they were actually very universal-minded uh, people uh, until the Industrial Revolution came. Then money became now a human being's existence. 
After that, you know, oh, I disintegrated. So basically nothing. And relativism now. Allah says, if there is a point of distinction, then it has to be based on something greater than the human being. You can't be distinct within your own group. So the point of distinction has to be greater than you, greater than your species. And who is greater than you? Allah. Right? Yeah. So now bragging about your ethnic background and making sure others who are not from your ethnic background is inferior, I mean, that's a social evil. That's why it's injustice. So whether it's in the political domain, whether it's in the social domain, or whether it's in the household domain, whether in your customs and practices, that is still evil. So now social justice and whatever you call it, human rights, does not regulate your moral values, the way you look at people, uh, especially amongst yourselves and especially in the household, where you can be unjust in your uh, ability, in, in, in your inability to see a human being as a human being, but you can have at least justice by the standards of law. When you do that, then you create systemic uh, racism. That systemic racism is not always political, it is social. And it is cultural. Then you go into ideas like you know, kind of justifiable apartheid, that you live in different areas, you're segregated almost organically, where you can't tolerate each other. So, so there's no law against that. Right? There's no law against that. So, so what you need to do is that you have to go deeper than your own human existence and find someone who is common to all of you, who is greater than you, and that can only be Allah. So hence Allah says, in That the most noble amongst you is the one who has the most piety, that you are going to excel uh, on, uh, in something that is now above human standards. What are human standards? Social justice. That's a human convention. What are human standards? Law, equality in the eyes of law. That's a human standard. Every civilization should do anyway, regardless. Regardless of religion. Regardless of religion, the human mind is supposed to appropriate that human beings must be just and kind towards each other without revelation. You don't need revelation for this. You as a human species should work this out. Huh? Now what does Islam add? Islam adds value by saying that we have these noble traits that is when you follow the Rasul of Allah and you become better than the normal standard of human life. What's the normal standard of human life? Equality. What's the normal standard of human life? Social justice. What's the normal standard of human life? Equality in the eyes of the law. That's a normal standard. Anything underneath that is subnormal. It is subhuman. So when you, as a Muslim activist or Islamist or politician, you want to bring this as an Islamic standard, you're doing injustice to Islam. That doesn't make any Islamic sense. 
because the Prophet was already a great noble person before Wahi came to him. So what's he showing? He's showing that as a normal human being who is sane and someone who is sound morally, these are the normal standards of human behavior, where you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't deceive, and you help people as much as you can in the humanitarian sense. Okay, now what does Wahi add? Well, he has something more than that. And what is that? That on the day of judgment, all of you will be judged and you should aim towards being in Jannah. This is what Islam adds. Right? So Islam adds the Akhirah. And remember this, because in any discussion about human behavior and human moral advice, you cannot divorce Islam from the Akhirah. Because then it is not Islam. That's just humanism, humanitarianism, it is philosophy. It is not Islam. So the purpose of all of this is that you will be in Jannah as a human community. That's your goal in life, in this life. That's why Allah here says, in akaramakum in the most noble and the most uh, one who is desirable to follow is the one who has the most taqwa. And taqwa here. Obviously, then you will add salat, some zakat, and hajj with it, and then all the good ethics, the moral behavior, and justice, and all of that. All of that completely is called taqwa. That's how you represent this ayah. You cannot squeeze this ayah into something that came a thousand years after revelation. <laughs> right? Revelation doesn't go backwards. Okay, now Islam actually agrees with your values, subhanAllah. Totally inverted attitude towards Islam. Oh, we, we believe in Jesus also. What the heck is that? What is that? We believe in Jesus also. Also, as if we have to be appreciated by others that we also believe in the truth. That's not how the Qur'an calls itself. The Qur'an calls itself a musaddiq, confirming the truth. The Prophet is a musaddiq of all the other prophets who came before him. He's a musaddiq. He confirms the truth, meaning this truth has been there since time immemorial. Adam and Islam came with this truth, and we are a continuation of that tradition of Adam and all the prophets that we have the truth, and we just reconfirm. So this whole mindset, inverted mindset, and the super apologetic attitude towards oh, Islam is also good. Wow. SubhanAllah, what did Islam do for you? That is not, it's all about the mindset. How you are in your mind. That when, you, when we say we believe in Jesus, we say we believe in Jesus the way Muhammad believes in Jesus. That's the correct aqidah. Incorrect Akida, we also believe in Jesus. That is incorrect. That's not the Islamic angle. The Islamic angle is we believe in Jesus the way Muhammad believes in Jesus, which is different from the way you believe in Jesus. Right? Yeah, so you have to get your attitude right, and the mindset has to be right. This is where taqwa comes in. If you believe in Jesus the wrong way, that is a bid'ah. That's not taqwa, that is a sin. You'll be guilty of a sin if you believe in Jesus. Oh, we believe in Jesus too. So likewise, here also, we also believe in human rights. No. 
we believe in human rights, plus we believe in the higher level of virtue and moral, where the Prophet excels over all other human beings and no one can reach his level of moral excellence. That's what we believe. And that is much more than social justice. It is much more than human rights. Much more. Why? Because this will give you the key to Jannah. And Jannah is eternal bliss. What these values give you will be hopefully a good life in this world. Hopefully. That is yet to be seen. Hasn't happened yet. It might happen. But there you go. So when the reading of the ayah has to be based on the language of Wahi. Wahi incorporates all phases of life, all zones, all realms of existence. So in all those realms, Jannah is the highest realm of existence. So this ayah must also apply to people who go into Jannah. That's how you understand an ayah of the Quran. You don't do it piecemeal because you are cornered into a context. Now, we're not being insensitive to those who have been oppressed. Okay. MashaAllah, the, 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 the slaves who came here, they were oppressed. There's no doubt in that. But we have oppression throughout the world today. You can think about the Muslims in China who've been super oppressed, Muslims in Kashmir, Muslims in India, Muslims everywhere in the world who've been oppressed. They also need to relate to this ayah. And this ayah also needs to relate to them. It's not just simply the American context. It is much broader. So if there's, God forbid, injustice in anywhere in the universe where there's another planet where people live, then this ayah will apply to them also. That's what universal means. Meaning the theory applies to every case where the case is a representation of that theory. So here we, we see that the Muslim course, if you want to make Islam an international religion, then it has to go beyond the boundaries of America, the American context, the American culture, and the American history. Much broader than that. Then everybody who was oppressed before America came into existence, they also include, were there not people who were oppressed before this country was born? Sure there were. And the uh, slaves in Arabia, they were oppressed too. That's where it started. So whoever was oppressed anywhere, they must now rely on Allah's fadl, rely on Allah to get to where they need to get to. Not on necessarily the political system of the time. Then you can reform the political system if you add on the akhirah. If you don't add on the akhirah, then your request and your strive is secular. It is not Islamic, right? Meaning that if you secularize Islam and say Islam only wants justice, peace here. No, no, we want where? Peace in the abode of peace. Dar salam. The Jannah is called the abode of peace was eternal peace. So we want justice there and live in justice forever, live in Ihsan forever. So this is how we will appropriate this ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indeed saying, Inna Allah alimun haki khabir, Allah is all knowing and all aware. Khabir is all aware of all human beings who are suffering, all human beings who are oppressive, all human beings who are you know, unjust, and all human beings who are violating the dignity of all other human beings. Allah is aware of them, all of them. So when, when you have this ideal, 
then obviously you are the best civilization. And then you can tell other people that our understanding of uh, you know, human life is that human life has to be fair here in this world. Human life on the Day of Judgment has to be fair. Human life in Jannah has to be much more than fair. Where Allah's fadl is manifested. So if you talk about uh, equality and fairness and justice, it has to go all the way to the Day of Judgment. And that's why ghiba is haram. Ghiba is unfair. Ghiba is injustice. Ghiba is a vice, a sin, and it will manifest itself on the day of judgment. And this is what you will see. You will see yourselves eating the dead meat of your brother. That's how Ghiba will appear on the day of judgment. And you'll see that I'm doing this. So here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in Allah, Ali will khabir, indeed Allah, Allah, the creator of everybody, he is the one who is all aware, Alim, he knows. And he is Khabir also, that he knows every microscopic detail of any form of injustice that has ever been committed on this planet by any human being. So micro and macro together. When you appreciate that Allah's message to human beings is that we want you to enter Jannah, then you will fight oppression wherever it is, however it is. Whether it's in a political system, whether it's in a social construct, whether it's domestic, whether it's academic, it doesn't matter. Injustice is injustice. That's the end of the story. Yeah? So here we see that our, our quest to present Islam to the world has yet to start. We haven't even begun to present Islam to the world because nobody wants to attach the Akhirah to the whole equation. Everybody's shy to say, oh, we are in Akhirah because people will laugh at you. Muslims will laugh at you. Never mind non-Muslims. If you talk to Muslims about social justice and say, what about the Akhirah? They're just laughing. What about the Akhirah? So, don't you think that you're going to live there somewhere, sometime, somehow? You'll end up there where everybody else is going to end up. So you attach the Akhirah to everything that is Islamic. If you do that, you'll be safe. If you don't do that, you'll be committing injustice to the Islamic value. And your representation of the Islamic value also has to be fair. You need justice there too. You can't be unjust if you disguise Islam. That's what people do. They disguise Islam in the name of social justice and human justice and equal rights and whatever. All these political terms and all of these things. The language changes. When the language changes, then you are not representing the ideal that is in the language of Wahi. So who understands the language of Wahi? The Rasul, and then who the Sahaba, and then who the Tabib understood the language of each other. That's where you need to learn the language of the Quran. The language of the Quran, you cannot learn through translation. It has to be the living language that was represented by the living prophet, and by the living Sahaba, and by the living Tabib. That's where you find your evidence. That's where you find your ideals of what Islam actually is. Having said that, obviously, we always invite people to come and listen to Tafsir. <laughs> Something is better than nothing. And if you want, you can actually study the language of the Quran and Wahi and the Hadith here at Dar Qasim whenever you have the time and occasion to do so, inshallah. Anyway, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us and preserve us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to understand the language of Wahi the way the Sahaba did. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to practice uh, the ayat of the Quran. Ameen ya rabbal alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khatri muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ismain. Bi rahmatuk ya rahmatuk.